Hi there, and welcome to the Birth Story Therapist Podcast, a safe space for mamas and parents to share their birth stories, discuss common issues experienced with parenting, feel heard and validated, engage in discussion about the complexity of their motherhood journeys, and how they manage their mental health along the way. Come here every week to hear from mamas who are just like you, figuring it out one day at a time. Hear from myself, Crystal, licensed therapist, host of this podcast, and private practice owner of Southeast Perinatal Counseling. I specialize in maternal mental health, if you haven't guessed already. I'll share helpful tips and techniques to manage your mental health as you navigate motherhood, both in the perinatal and postpartum period, as well as bring on other mamas so you can gain from their history, their stories, maybe some gems that you can apply to your motherhood journey. And of course, I also have on professionals in the maternal mental health space that might be able to offer additional techniques and resources to help you along the way. So I want to welcome this next mom to our episode this week. I am really excited to hear her birth story because I have known her for quite some time and have never heard any part of her story. And so this will be a great insight into um, her life and her birth experiences and her motherhood journey, Um, not just for you listeners, but also for myself. Um, So as I do with all moms, I want to, again, welcome you. I want to extend support as you share. Uh, I want to extend empathy um, as we hold space for your story and everything that involves your story. So if it's joy, if it's pain, that's what we're here for, to, to celebrate and hold space together because we're all, again, trying to uplift and normalize our experiences through storytelling So without further ado, I would love to hear a little bit about who you are, your life, anything that you'd like to share before we start um, listening to your story. Absolutely. And again, thank you for the opportunity. I'm excited to tell my story. I tell anyone who listens. So this is great for me. (laughs) I'll tell about (laughs) everything. Uh, I'm Sabrina. I'm a mom of two boys and... They are nine and seven. I feel like they are 42 and 40 years old with the way they go at it. But I love them dearly. And um, up until about eight months ago, I was a certified boy mom only. But I am going to welcome a baby girl into the world in the next few weeks. And I'm so excited for them to be big brothers to the princess (laughs) I've always wanted that I've been dying for. Uh, (laughs) Oh. Her dad and I, uh, Zinquarius, we've been wanting this little girl for quite some time, and we've achieved her. We are blending families at the moment, so to be three boys and this poor little girl who won't stand a chance in the world, and I, I'm just a mother. I'm a mom, and uh, I, I do love the birthing process. I, I saw something on TikTok that said... Uh, you know, I, I have like a thing for, for, for birthing and breeding. And I think I do, cause I do love that process. And I just wanted wow. to try it one last time. And this is my opportunity. Oh, well, congratulations on your beautiful, um, 
family. Um, and the new addition that's about to be coming your way. It sounds like you have been waiting <laughs> to have this little girl. So I'm excited for you that your family gets to to celebrate her as she comes in within the next few weeks. When is your due date? My due date is August 29th. And <sighs> we will be hoping I last that long. I have a lot going mm-hmm. on in between now and then a lot going on. My mm-hmm. best friend's wedding, maternity pictures, I'm switching jobs, oh, baby wow. shower, and then my youngest son's first football game. So a lot going on, but we are hoping to hold on until August 29th. Okay, so we are going to get to that. So I'm so glad that you started us off with that. Um, I want to know, before you start telling your your story, before Sabrina became a mom, what things did you do to navigate stress? What things did you do to manage the day-to-day expectations of your life before you became a mom? And then start us off with your story. All right. Well, before I became a mom, I I don't, I don't think I was that busy. I mean, it was just work and go home and just make sure you show up to work, do a good job and go home. Um, you know, stress. Yeah. Things came up before the children and I would just, I, I just have this thing about not wallowing in emotions and feelings and stress. I address my feelings. I acknowledge them. I feel them, but then I correct them. You know, we correct and we have a a solution to the problem. That is my big thing. And that's something I carried on into motherhood and teaching my kids, you know, don't ignore your emotions, acknowledge, feel them, and then we're going to correct the reason. So I think I I handled stress pretty well before becoming a mom. And then, boom, Cameron came and it was like a whole new ball game. And it was time to handle even more stress. Mm, okay. Um, I have a question before you start telling your birth. I know I'm like, start telling your birth story. And then I'm like, I have a question. <laughs> so you you brought up a, a very, um, I would say, guided type of technique that you use within your, it sounds like your life and that you've incorporated into your motherhood journey with your, your children as well. Um, you said to acknowledge, feel, and then correct. And so talk to us a little bit about how you came to the understanding that that was effective for you in managing stress. And you also mentioned um, in having solutions to a problem. So walk us through um, if there was an example in your life, if there was like a, a situation where you figured out that, okay, this is effective for me. And then tell us, um, how your children or even your partner have adapted to to this sort of model that you've been um, coping um, with throughout your life? Sure. So I seem to think it came from well, both my parents. Um, as, as an adult, looking back, and I just recently spent the weekend with the both of them. They're divorced, but I spent the weekend with the both of them last weekend, and I truly do realize that's where it came from. The the, the, the feelings like we, we, we don't really basically wallow in feelings in my family. Like, yeah, we have them, things come up, stressors come up, things make us sad, depressed, we get down, but we don't stay there, or at least we try not to stay there. And that's the whole thing about moving on with life. You got to keep going, 
you got to keep pushing because there's a lot of life to live. So we don't stay in those feelings that are negative and you find a solution. My dad is military. So it's always a solution to something. There's a problem. There's a solution. That's his thing. And I've adapted it in my life. You know, um, even dating with my current partner, it's like, okay, we have a disagreement on spending time with each other. Great. That's fine. That's the problem. What's the solution? Let's make a plan. Two nights a week, three nights a week, four nights a week. I need a plan to move on so we don't stay in that fight too long. I do the mm. same thing with my boys. You're fighting over the PlayStation. You Somebody made somebody angry. You made somebody cry. Yeah, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to be mad at your brother about being selfish. I get it. The both of you are very selfish. But again, you make a plan. 20 minutes each. You cut it off at the 20 minutes. Make it fair. And then we move on from those feelings. That way we don't harbor resentment towards each other or they're always doing this or they're always treating me like this. Well, we address the feeling as it happens and then we make a plan so it doesn't happen again. That way problems get resolved around here and in our family and in my life without me holding on to them and holding grudges. So that's why Mm -hmm. I like to implement that kind of philosophy. Yeah, and I really appreciate you sharing that. I feel like it's very goal-directed towards, as you said, finding a solution. Um, The interesting part about it is um, that I feel like a lot of people try and adapt this um, into their life, into their motherhood journey, but sometimes forget the main part that you said earlier, which was you acknowledge and you allow yourself to feel. And so I feel like that's such a great point to highlight within this amazing philosophy that you have incorporated throughout your life and throughout your motherhood journey. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Absolutely. Not a problem. Yeah. So Cameron is your first, right? Yes, that is my big boy. (laughs) Okay. So walk us through it wherever you'd like to start. If you'd like to start, um, you know, when you found out you were pregnant, if you'd like to start with how your pregnancy went. We'd love to hear it all. Sure. So, yeah, we can start from the top of Cameron was my first. I wasn't finished with college. And I think that had a big impact on my pregnancy as a whole. I was I was working as well. I was with his father. We had been together for about four years before we had gotten pregnant. Uh, So very well established. And it's like, oh, I'm pregnant. You know, and it was like, of course, well, here he is, you know, well, here it is. We didn't know yet. And then, you know, we're (laughs) going to raise him. We're going to keep him. Um, I was working. I was in school at USC and it was very frightening. Um, I didn't tell my dad about me being pregnant at all until I was about eight and a half months. I had had two baby showers and everything and didn't even tell him. Uh, I was, I mean, I was young. And if I'm honest, I was ashamed that I wasn't married, that I wasn't finished with school and I had gotten pregnant, but we see that it turned out okay. But anyway, found out that I was pregnant. The pregnancy was, was okay. I was busy. Again, I was in school and I was a vet tech, so it was very physical work. And around my 22-week appointment, 
they determined that I had an incompetent cervix and I got a surclodge placed and that is just a stitch to hold your cervix closed because it was dilating too early. And then, um, so yeah, the doctor gave me the option. It was like, you know, quit school, quit work or get the surclodge. And I'm like, of course I'm gonna get the surclodge. I can't quit school. I did quit work at least. Um, And I was put on bed rest and just allowed to go to school and home. And that was about it, which was fine. I did get a temporary handicap pass. If (laughs) anybody knows about USC, you know how the parking is. That parking is the worst. That parking is, I went there for graduate school. Sabrina is the worst. It's like you're going to park a mile and a half down the road from your class. And it's like, oh, no. It's the worst. So I was very appreciative of that handicap pass um, to be able to park right up in the buildings and then walk mm-hmm. into class. Um, being pregnant in school was was fine. You know, I was, again, a little bit ashamed, but people didn't make a big deal out of it. I do remember being in psychology and U.S. history with over half of the football team and I wasn't social at USC at all, but they really made me feel welcome and not ashamed. And, you know, just, you know, how the baby doing, you doing okay today? Like they were very nice to me and that made me ease my feelings about being pregnant in school. I don't know why I was so ashamed. It was silly. Now I look back on it, but I I appreciate those gentlemen for being very nice and not making me feel awkward with my big belly. Yeah, I have a question about that since we're since you brought back up shame. So you had mentioned that you had gotten pregnant while in school and were ashamed because you hadn't yet finished school and because you weren't yet married. So where do you think those, um, because obviously when we experience like shame and guilt, those negative sorts of emotions, they typically have like a root, right? And it's like deep down in some type of idea or belief that we had. And so I'm wondering, could you share with us where you think maybe that idea or belief originated? I know you mentioned like your you did not tell your dad <laughs> and you went the whole time. So I'm wondering whether or not it was, you know, for instance, like in the black culture, we are very heavily into church and like, you know, you're not supposed to do stuff until you get married and like things like that. And so what do you think maybe your shame um, that you experienced, where it originated from? Like what was beneath it? I definitely think it was a mixture of all the things you said. Definitely with my dad being, um, a Southern Christian man, I mean, to to the heart and, you know, more so Southern than anything. Like you, you better be married before anything happened and you better bring the boy by before (laughs) anything happens, which he had met Jay. Um, Mm -hmm. That's the boy's dad. But um, still just the fact that I had not finished school uh, and we weren't married that I just, I felt like wouldn't sit right with him. That's why I held it from him. And then, yeah, just the general culture or the, the, maybe it's black culture. Maybe it's just overall American culture of you go to school, you get married, you buy a house, then you have kids, you know, it's like that four step plan. And don't you put four before three 
or two mm-hmm. after four or else we're going to shame you. You know, mm-hmm. it just it was a mixture of all that. It was like, oh, I didn't do this in the right order. And I just I didn't want people to judge. And that's why I was so ashamed. So, yes, it was a mixture of my dad and his beliefs and then just overall culture and how they, whoever they is, say things should go. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that there were some uh, students, uh, specifically the football team, who were in your class who made you feel welcomed and, you know, didn't, um, I guess... Uh, isolate or make you feel uncomfortable with regard to your pregnancy. So that's external. Were there any internal uh, workings that maybe you did to kind of reject that shame and embrace your pregnancy and where you were, even though this wasn't necessarily your plan? Honestly, not at all. Not with Cam. I just, oh, I feel so bad. But no, I was, I was very ashamed. I didn't, give myself any slack for it happening to me. I mm. yeah, it was like I would say bad things to myself in my head and uh, him and his father, me and his father like we broke up in during the pregnancy and I was just very hard on myself during that time and it's like you you know, you you did this all wrong. You're never going to have the life that you wanted, you know, you're nothing. I was very hard on myself. So I don't think I did anything internally to make myself feel better when I was pregnant with Cam. Yeah. And I I can tell you, Sabrina, like I I hear you and I hear it in your voice. And I even heard you say like, oh, you know, like kind of like a defeated type of sound. And I'll tell you, like, I have been there too. (laughs) Like maybe not the exact situation, but I've been there where I felt ashamed throughout my life as well. And not, um, looking back on it, not have uh, initiated that internal work that I probably deserved at that moment, whether it be some self-compassion or a little bit of love on myself. Um, so you're not the only one who's experienced that for sure. Not at all. I'm glad you're out of that place. Though. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I'm glad you're out of that place. Okay. So you're pregnant with Cam. You had the uh, surclage put in and I think you stopped there. Yeah. So, yeah, pregnant, 22 weeks, surclage. I quit um, my vet tech job. I finished school. It may not have been in May because Cam was born in April, on April 23rd. And, oh, that was a magical day. The day before, on the 22nd of April, I remember I just, I, I had contractions. I was having contractions. And I had read the books, what to expect. I had been on, um, you know, like the mommy to be boards on one of those apps. I can't even remember which one. It was pink. I do remember the app was pink back then. (laughs) And, you know, I just been reading and listening and as much as I could to know. And and I knew I was in labor. I had contractions. We went out to Golden Corral to eat. I do remember that being my last meal. that night I labored at home, labored and labored and my girl, my dog, my pit bull, my everything, she stood by me. She was like, oh, mommy's dying. I got to be right here by her. I was in and out the tub. I was, I was scared, but I was very calm. I remember being calm. We did go to the hospital around midnight because I was timing contractions and I was like, you know, it's time to go. 
We went to the hospital, got triage. They were like, you're not far enough along. Sent me back home. That was fine. No issue. I wasn't irate or mad or anything. It was my first child. Um, It was for the best that they sent me back home now that I look back at it. So we got back home. I labored some more. I don't even think I slept. I remember getting in and out the tub, in and out the tub. Chloe being right there. I'm pacing back and forth. She's pacing back and forth. Jay's there. Don't get me wrong. He's there, but he's like staying out of my way. Because when I'm in pain, I'm like a caged cougar. Like, don't go near her. (laughs) Just back up. And um, the next morning, I had a regular doctor's appointment. It was my regular checkup. Because with the surclage, you have checkups once a week. So I was going to the doctor once a week ever since 22 weeks. So we got there. Oh, my goodness. I stayed in the waiting room. You wouldn't believe it for three and a half hours. And then finally got to a room and was in the room for 45 minutes before a doctor or a nurse even came to see me. They came to see me. And with a surclage, you get checked as well. Your um, cervix and your dilation to make sure everything is still okay. They checked me and the nurse was like, girl you're six centimeters. Like, what are you doing? Just sitting here. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you told me to wait. I'm waiting. You know, I just, I don't know. And she's like, you're, you're going to the hospital. You know, you're having that baby today. And first of all, you're not putting me in the ambulance to take me across the street. I was at least cognitive of that. I, <laughs> so I was like, I could walk. And I did walk from uh, building to building at Baptist Hospital, the labor and delivery floor. I may have stopped a few times with those very intense contractions, but I walked and um, made it to the delivery floor, got in the room, made sure to call my mom, called my dad. Uh, He immediately got on the road. He lives in Atlanta. So about three and a half hours away, he immediately got on the road, uh, called my sister. And that's the big thing about Cam's birth. She was leaving for Afghanistan on the 23rd of April. That was her date to leave. So we made sure to call her and it's like, I'm in labor. And that's just like, I wanted to make sure I gave birth before she got on the plane. Because I knew it was going to be a period of time where she was not going to be able to communicate with us at all. Oh, so we called her immediately. Um, I laid there, I labored some more. I wish I wasn't laying there, but I was laying there laboring some more. Um, I took a small nap, woke up and I requested the epidural. Um, by that time I was about eight centimeters, but they still gave it to me. Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) Hindsight, I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) But they did. They did still give it to me. I got that and I laid there just a little bit more. And they came in the room and was like, it's time to push. She she checked me and was like, it's time to push. And it was time to push. And it didn't take long. I only pushed for 15 minutes. And Cam was here. Uh, he did poop in the womb. And I remember the nurse freaking out because that happened and she was like alert the NICU get everything ready he's got to go to the NICU 
Sorry. And the doctor with a nose ring and purple hair, and she was like, no, no, absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with him. Like, she, like, snapped at that poor nurse, and she he was out cut the umbilical cord she suctioned him and like legit looked my baby up and down and was like he's fine <laughs> and I was like are you sure like you talking Nick you and she's like he's fine um and she was the high-risk doctor anyway at the practice so once she like told me a second time like he's fine I felt comfortable and I was like okay he's fine <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. So you found out that um, you were diagnosed with an incompetent cervix. How did that change your delivery, if any? Did it did it affect your delivery at all? I don't, I don't think it affected my delivery. It just stopped some things in my normal life. But as far as delivery, no, it may have sped things up. Okay. You know, okay. Now that I know it's not competent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um it, it it's very I appreciate the fact that not only did you share that in transparency, but you also described what it was and um how they were able to um progress your pregnancy and allow your or sustain your pregnancy. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, it's also helpful for listeners because if they're unfamiliar and they're going through this, then they can know that, hey, here's Sabrina was going throughout her entire pregnancy and made it to delivery successfully. I want to ask you, did you, I know you said that your partner was there. You mentioned Chloe and I know that you are a huge dog lover because I see your Facebook page. So how was it for for you to have your partner in the room with you um and and did you have any other support there and how did your support um show up for you the day that you delivered sure so actually in the delivery room jay was right there i mean he was right there toe to toe with me holding my leg as i pushed my mom was also in the delivery room too you know i was a young girl of course my mom was gonna be there yeah Um, so she was there and (laughs) oh like i said my sister was boarding the plane for the afghan for afghanistan for the military my my mom was on the phone with her the entire time oh wow the entire time um so I remember like looking over at her as I'm pushing and like making sure my sister doesn't board the plane yet until he comes out. So, yes, my mother was on the phone the whole time with my sister until, you know, waiting until Cameron made his way into the world, making sure that she knew her sister was fine and her nephew was fine as well. Um, but yeah, both. Jay and my mom were just very, they were very supportive. I don't remember being mad at them for anything. And to be honest, I'll get mad at anybody for anything really fast, especially when I'm in pain or going through something such as birth. But I just remember them being very supportive, holding my legs, telling me I can do it, telling me everything was okay. And then once he was born, you know, telling me how good of a job I did. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's um, an amazing part of the birth story that we sometimes don't get to hear is not, you know, everybody was there and everyone, you know, was supportive, but specifically, like, 
girl, you killed it. Like you, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you did an amazing job. And I feel like moms, like once you deliver the baby, sometimes all eyes just automatically, <laughs> automatically shift to baby. You're kind of just left in the dust. So I think it's beautiful that you got that reinforcement um, of how great of a job you did. Yeah, absolutely. I am appreciative of the both of them for that. It, I I listen to other people's stories, whether how short they are, you know, on social media or on TikTok. And I just realized how blessed I was in that category to have both of them being as supportive and just being there, period. Yeah. Yeah. Now, after um, delivery, talk to us about recovery. Did you experience any physical, any emotional, any mental um, challenges throughout that newborn period and so a lot of times people look at that um, initial um, few weeks or month as being stressful of a transition some people describe it as um, just being a difficult adjustment and so talk with us a little bit about what you may have experienced during that period and what things were most helpful for you and what things did you discover weren't helpful sure so I just immediately after giving birth the physical I remember having the shakes and being cold in mm-hmm. the hospital and um they corrected that in the hospital I remember my first day being at home I I swell up really bad and it was funny because I didn't swell up at the end of pregnancy like you hear other mm-hmm. people do but once I got home I was really swollen I do remember that Um, But it did go away after a day or two. Um, You know, the normal recovery when it comes to using the bathroom for the first time after birth. Uh, Thankfully, I didn't tear or have an episiotomy. So I think that part of the recovery was a a bit easier for me, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, you know, you still have to go through the normal steps of care when using the bathroom and then cleaning and using all the necessary tools, the pads, the diapers and everything. But that that part was OK. Uh, emotionally, I had a lot of support uh, come through. My dad and stepmom were there. My mom was there. Jay's parents were there uh, towards the end of the week. And everybody came and made sure we had food cooked for us, you know, gave me food in bed because I was breastfeeding and just making sure that we were transitioning. Okay. Once they left us alone after about a week and a half and it was just Jay and I, it was still fine. Oh, I don't. I mean, I'm going to pat myself on the back. I rocked it. He went back to work and he worked night shift. And, you know, I was home with Cam, which was fine. And I was I was fine. I was lonely a bit, but my mom was a phone call away. So just having somebody that can come just sit with you. Of course, I couldn't drive, but I just she would just come and sit with me. And that's all I needed was somebody to sit with me and you know, make sure I just wasn't lonely while Jay was at work or was sleep because he would sleep during the day. And it, I, I, I felt like I handled the newborn and then, you know, first baby year pretty fine with Cam. Mm, 
Yeah, yeah. I think one of the interesting parts about that, I appreciate you sharing, is um, the connectedness part. You mentioning that, you know, you just needed someone to be there to sit. And I feel like a lot of times when I talk with moms, whether in my private practice or just, you know, leisurely like we're doing now, it, it I hear that theme a lot. Just needing to connect with someone and having someone else present. Um and I, and I wonder whether or not that's something that um, dads as well experience. And the reason why I bring that up is because sometimes with uh, this transition period, whether it's early on throughout pregnancy, whether it's in the postpartum period, both parents can sometimes experience, and I'm going to use the word you use, which is uh, you said it felt lonely, Um when, when dad went back to work, I'm wondering whether or not you notice that your partner also connected or needed some type of connection or were there things that you noticed with your partner that maybe he also may have needed um, throughout that transition period? Does that question make sense for you? It does make sense. And I'm trying to think, I don't even know if I noticed, I know he didn't ex- explicitly state anything but I don't think that I noticed he was just gung-ho on working and coming home and sleeping he was he was fine yeah yeah and I know dads can present really differently which is why did you say something I think yes yeah they do yeah yeah they present differently um but postpartum depression and you know baby blues all of those things can affect dads too as well as just like the typical uh, what you described adjustment period with cam um so that that was something that i wondered because i know sometimes we do get dads who listen in um and so i didn't know if you had anything to share that maybe um jay had had, had mentioned to you so moving from that transition period and figuring out you know, how you and Kim were going to navigate y'all's new relationship and him being Earthside with us. You mentioned breastfeeding. And so talk with us a little bit about how that went for you and whether or not there were any stressors, if any, and resources that you utilized throughout your breastfeeding journey. Sure. So um, I've, I don't really have such a big family, so I didn't really see anybody breastfeeding or know anyone who did. So that decision seemed to come out of left field when I told everyone that was my plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stuck to it and um, I'm a very headstrong person. I'm like, you know, that that's just what I'm going to do, guys. Uh, there were some people was like, you know, you know, you're not going to go through with it or it's hard or blah, blah, blah. But I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And it is what I did. My baby. Oh, he's a big boy now. My baby. <laughs> <laughs> he he latched on very well. I mean, from the start in the hospital, we never had an issue with that. He didn't lose birth weight. He gained mm-hmm. weight. Oh, he was such a chunker with those little chinky eyes. Oh, it, it went really well. My professor's. Like I said, it was the end of the semester when I gave birth and it was like finals week. Cam's birthday, his the day I gave birth was finals week. But they let me come back and take my finals. If you need to pump, you can. I did get a pump from, you know, my local WIC office. Right. 
Oh, that was a blessing, a real blessing. So I was able to pump, especially when I went back to work once he was six months old. And uh, my workplace at the time, they had a room for lactation, which was great. It had a refrigerator. It had a recliner, dimmed lights charger for your phone (laughs) I was really appreciative of that because I was scared you know you heard about or you still hear about it now companies not accommodating breastfeeding Mm, mothers yes so when I got that job I was really afraid about it but it was magical I mean yeah I had to go down two floors but that was nothing it was worth it for my baby so breastfeeding went well I breastfed for Cameron nine months until I got pregnant with Anthony so yeah 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 oh wow so it sounds like although you had a um a pregnancy that had an unexpected diagnosis it otherwise turned out the way you anticipated in the way that you um had hoped would you absolutely yeah yeah now walk us through Anthony. What what were some differences that maybe you noticed, whether it be your actual pregnancy, your delivery, or even advocating for yourself within like the healthcare system um, in in this time around? What did you do differently with with Anthony? Yes, Crystal, that very last part, me advocating for myself. <laughs> um, with Anthony, I. I no it hadn't been that much time Cameron was nine months old when I found out I was pregnant with Anthony and uh, but I had learned so much in the meantime especially on the holistic side of giving birth Mm. in that time frame I had learned so much so by that time I had gotten a midwife instead Mm -hmm. of going into a regular OBGYN office And that made me very comfortable. I did let them know of my past experience with an incompetent cervix, but they did, they, they trusted me. They, they didn't do any interventions. It was, I guess it was nothing to do at that time, even, even though I had just given birth really. Uh, So I didn't have to get another surclage, which shocked me. So that was a difference. Um, found out it was another boy Mm -hmm. oh let's see and then when I gave birth it was in a different type setting again I I had a midwife I had a plan you know I was like I am going natural because I didn't really need the epidural when I gave birth to Cam Mm -hmm. so I made that plan to go natural and I also took from Cameron's birth the fact that I labored at home and so I did the same thing with Anthony I labored at home uh I didn't tell anybody I was in labor that time because we were moving we moved that day oh wow (laughs) do you think that the move induced your labor 100% did Crystal I'm ashamed I saw a bug I was in the room by myself packing up and I saw a bug. I'm afraid of bugs. Mm-hmm. And that thing scared the mess out of me and it scared the baby out of me. Oh, you think I so? <laughs> it jump started my contractions. Oh, wow. Definitely. I saw that thing and I had contractions ever since. And Anthony was there the next afternoon at 243. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Now you say that, um, 
that things went different in you advocating for yourself, you getting a midwife this time around. I know that you had mentioned that the, I believe you said it was the high risk doctor who came in and they were like very like almost, or at least the, from from listening to you, I got the the vibe that maybe they were just like, Kurt, very to the point, he's going to be okay. He's fine. He's fine. (laughs) What did you notice different about your care provider this time around? It was, Mm. it was more (laughs) gentle Mm. (laughs) with a lot of, uh, a lot of support and feelings. Uh, That was a crazy day, but I do remember, like I said, I labored at home. I got to the hospital I got to my regular doctor's appointment again and I was six centimeters again (laughs) and they sent me across the street to the hospital this time at Lexington. But, um, same thing happened, but I remember bumping heads a little bit with the nurse and I could, I feel like I could tell like she was a, a labor and delivery nurse and not used to working with midwives. Okay. Um, because I didn't want to lay in the bed. Like I said, I had done a lot of research with the holistic side of birth. And I was like, no, I need to be vertical and not horizontal. I can't labor on my back. So I wanted to use the ball. I wanted to walk around. I had to go to the bathroom a few times. And she's like, you need to get in bed. You need to get in bed. You need to get in bed. And I understand that they had to monitor the baby. I get that. But I kind of went back against her. And I'm like, not right now. I kept telling her not right now. Mm-hmm. I was like going through a contraction or I wanted to stand up and move my hips back and forth. And she's like, you need to lay down. You need to lay down. And I'm like, no, like I'll lay down long enough for you to get a reading on his heartbeat. And then I'm getting back up. Right. Cause this hurts. So, um, it was just her in there for a while until I laid down one final time and my midwife came in and, she was like, yeah, it's time to push. She checked me and was like, it's time to push. And as she was uh, pulling her hand out, my water broke. So, um, yeah, things went very fast after that. But I felt like my midwife was very supportive. I had the nurse in there. It was a nurse, two nursing students in there, too. Jay and my mom. It was a lot of people in that room that time. It was a party. You said it was a party? It was a party that time. (laughs) Well, speaking of parties, share with me what you think might have been. um, Sometimes we we talk about that magical moment. Um, Was there one with your second son um, that you experienced throughout delivery? Was it when you got home? Like a moment where you really felt like, whew, like this is, this is supposed to be like, I, I, I'm here. This is us. Like whatever that magical moment, was it when he latched on? Like, what was it when you pushed him out? Like, what was that magical moment for you then? It was a series of moments. Um, one, it was when he came out, I had rocked it, no medication. Mm-hmm. Um, patted myself on the back again for that one. And then um, taking him home to his brother and his brother giving him his nickname. Cam was, what, 17 months old. And he tried to say baby brother, but he called him Bubby. <laughs> and ever since then, he's been Bubby or Bub. 
And that that right there was the magical moment. Like it's all of us. Like it's the four of us. Yeah. You, know, you got your baby brother. We have y'all. And I mean, that makes me smile right now. Like I remember Cam was like, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so sweet. It, 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 it does sound so sweet. I'm over here smiling like, oh, gives me the feels, Sabrina. Um, being a mom of two, I'm sure is very different from having one kiddo at the house. So talk to us a little bit about how you manage stressors, specifically stressors that didn't um, that didn't allow for you to find that easy solution. You know, we talked about earlier that philosophy that you have that is extremely effective within your household. But but talk with us about those more difficult barriers, being a mom of two and how you navigated those. Sure. So yeah, there, especially now those times come up and I, I reach out to people. Um, you know, I did talk about how I solve my problems, but that's just me. And I'm a human. I'm flawed. I can't solve every problem, even right. if they are my own. Yeah. So I do have to reach out to other people for advice or for just general support or just let me vent. And I realize I do that a lot now. And it's like, this is going on with the boys. This is what I feel like should happen. What do you think? Like, I do reach out to anyone, my sister, my dad, uh, my new partner, their dad. Like, I reach out to anybody I can to get help with them because they are growing boys. Mm -hmm. And I know nothing about being a growing boy. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I am just trying to do the best that I can by them. And it does get stressful, but other people have been through things in life that I haven't been through. So that's why I ask. I do reach out for help. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate you saying reaching out for help because I do think that sometimes we as moms take on the onus or the responsibility to... Um, have to do it all and to have to figure it out. But there are people within our lives who who may be there to assist and not being afraid to ask for help is something that um, I'm glad that you encouraged us to do with, with sharing that just then. Um, the other thing that it makes me think of is the importance of a village, man. Oh. Like when we think about like back in the day with like, our grandma and yeah, like any of our, our aunts and uncles, like I can remember family surrounding family and just being there when you, when you need something. Um, and now with like travel and distance and everyone so spread out, sometimes that can be so difficult, but I think you bring up a very good point of just finding your village. You mentioned like your new partner and people within his life and things of that nature. And so it's the encouragement, I think, for myself, for listeners to figure out who those people can be within your village. And it might look different. Yes, it might be the typical people that you think about, like your immediate family, but it might be those outside of that, like maybe your coworkers, maybe, you know, a friend or a friend of a friend who you trust and, and, and find to be um, aligned with you know, how you do things within your life and within your, your, your motherhood journey. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us, Sabrina. Absolutely. And then and you, I don't have a big family at all. I mentioned that and definitely no one here in Columbia is just my immediate family. So no, yeah. aunts, no uncles. And I didn't grow up with aunts, uncles, grandmas or anything like that. It was just my mom, my siblings and I, and that's it. 
Yeah. But um, yeah, coworkers, that was a big support for mm-hmm. me um, with my boys being uh, smaller. And then up until now, like people took took me in and I just want the listeners to know, like, don't be afraid to just talk to someone. You never know who is your your listening angel out there. And yeah, some people don't have the best intentions, but there are plenty of people who do have really good intentions. And they really do have our backs. Yeah. And especially in our community, we know that, you know, the family structure is, like you said, spread out and we're trying to get it back together. So don't be afraid to reach out to people. I was a bit ashamed about reaching out to people for help, but I had this one coworker and we're not even coworkers anymore. We're family now. Yeah. I'm so appreciative of her, her husband and her entire family for doing what they did for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, we have to like figure out how to um, kind of like redefine what what our village looks like. Yeah, um, build your you know, own. Yep. It can look whatever way you need it to. It certainly can, Sabrina. And I'm glad that you brought up your part, your new partner, and um, like his 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 family and whatnot. So walk us through um, what. And how y'all have made a blended family work. So I've had another mom on who um, is a part of a blended family as well. I myself, because my husband has a daughter. Um, So walk us through the things that you have found most helpful um, within y'all's family dynamic and family structure. Sure. Oh, the word that comes to mind is compromise. Mm -hmm. Um, When you built your own family separate you you've become not stuck in a way but you just have a routine you have things that you guys do and then when you come together like you have to learn to compromise because you're all together now and that's something that we have learned to do and we're still learning to do is to compromise um me and my boys were very active i have a star football player i have a basketball player we go fishing. We're very active. I try to keep my boys out and about because I'm out and about when I'm off work. Mm-hmm. And um, Zinquarius is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. He's in the house. He's tired. And we just had to compromise. And it's like, okay, sometimes we can spend time in the house. And then sometimes y'all have to come and, you know, spend time doing the things and the activities that we do. So it's just about compromise and making sure that you are willing to blend those things together. If you don't want your corn touching your mashed potatoes, it's never going to work. <laughs> you got to learn to mix them together and it and it will be fine. It'll all go down the same way. Yeah. So we just made sure that everybody, you know, the three boys at this point know that each of them individually still hold the same weight that they did before any of this happened. And then that they're going to hold a bigger weight now that we're becoming one family. You know, Cam, you're still the oldest. You still have the responsibility of leading the pack. You know, Anthony, you still have to bring the joy and the happiness and life into this household. Um, Amir, you still have to be that sweet one and make sure you keep the mother two in line <laughs> and let me know when they're acting out. And then all three of y'all have to take care of your little sister, yeah. you know, and just be supportive in the things that we decide. Everybody's not going to get the thing that they want. You're just going to have to learn that it 
whatever decision we make is going to be best for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was beautifully said. And I love the fact that you're like, you are, you're, you know, you and your personality fits into our family in this type of way. And I think it's really good to be able to still understand that while a family is blended, things don't have to change in terms of you now moving to the side. And I think a lot of times when blended families come together or when a family comes and merges with another family to make a blended family, that sometimes people do begin to feel that way. You know, you feel isolated. You feel like so much has to change. Um, But it sounds like y'all are really doing a great job of um, having the children feel like you're still special, like no matter what, like you still hold the same place within all of our lives, um, even though we're coming together. That's what it sounds like. A hundred percent. I don't want anybody to get lost in in anything. I want it to be the best decision for us all. And and, and they are still special and heartbreakingly i'll tell this small story my youngest um we're very close anthony and i are very very close and um he admitted that he was sad or jealous he just admitted he had negative feelings about a baby sister coming mm-hmm. that he wasn't gonna be the spotlight of attention anymore and i'm like you know well first you do have a brother don't <laughs> Don't ignore him. <laughs> but, you know, you know, you and I have a special relationship and that relationship may be a little rocky when she comes because it's the beginning of football season. But, you know, it that relationship is not going to change. If anything, it's going to get stronger. And, you know, just be rest assured that mommy's feelings for you are never going to change no matter what happens in her life. Yeah. And he understood and now he's being honest when people ask him whether he's excited or not for another sibling and he's honest yeah now he is he's adjusting so yeah. we try to raise emotionally aware kids <laughs> yeah and no I, I i can appreciate the fact that you shared that story and i love that story because it's a constant reminder for us to continue to hold space for our children and their feelings Um, and I know that that was very different from when I was growing up, at least within my household where, you know, it was almost as if like, I'm a child, I don't really have feelings (laughs) and I laugh now. Um, and probably as like a protective factor type of laugh, but thinking back on it, it was so unfair because, um, even though you're a child, like you are still very much so a human. And so you're allowed and you're entitled to your your own emotions, even if I as an adult don't understand. And I'll share a recent story where my sister came into town for the 4th of July and her and her husband and her children. And uh, because of COVID, they have basically missed miles growing up, my son. And she like wants to sniff on him and kiss him (laughs) and like love on him. And he's like, at that activity stage where he like wants to explore, be independent. He don't want anybody all up underneath him basically. And so he would not give her a hug. And she's like, Miles, give me a hug. And I'm like, Karen, if he does not want a hug, 
don't force my baby to give you a hug. And she's like, I forgot. Like, he he doesn't have to hug me. And then we laughed about it because we're like, you know, we want those things to happen. But at the same time, we both recognize that we're doing things a whole lot different from when we were children, right? Like, we're trying to practice mindful parenting to where our children are entitled to things like they can have their big emotions, whether we agree with them or not. They can, you know, say, no, I don't want you kissing all over me. If that's something that I don't want, even though, you know, we want to sniff underneath their ear. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that That's funny. That's something I practice in my household, too. If they don't want to give hugs at that moment, they definitely don't have. No, to. absolutely not. Yeah. So kudos to you for holding space for Anthony's feelings, because I'm sure that is quite a, an adjustment uh, because he's how old? He is seven. He'll be eight in September. That's quite an adjustment, Sabrina. So I, I get it. I totally get it. Um. And oh, I, I hope it goes well. There are so many different um, ideas on Pinterest and and on the internet that people do to like incorporate um, their littles who are having a hard time adjusting. So um, if you need any ideas, let me know. I was actually talking with a mom recently about something of the sort. Um, but yeah, and so is there anything um, while I still have you that you think that uh has been a common theme that you have reinforced whether it be a belief or an expectation has there been a common theme that you've reinforced within your motherhood journey that you think is helpful in sustaining you um specifically in terms of like your mental and emotional well-being oh sure i just I continually tell myself that I am doing the best that I can, you know, with the resources that I have. And if if something doesn't turn out the best way possible, or if I feel like I hurt one of my children or let them down, I do let myself know that I, I did my absolute best. I don't down myself for my mothering decisions for too long. Because, um, I, I mean, on paper, yeah, I'm still a single mom and I just, I am doing what I can do. So I, I definitely reinforce that I'm doing the best that I can. My children always come first, no matter what. And, you know, they're, they're, they're happy. My children are happy. And that's another thing that I tell myself over and over. I ask them too, you know, to make sure that they're happy. Are you happy? Is there anything I can do? You know, you know, besides the materialistic things that they always want. But, you know, I do ask, you know, are are you happy? Or, you know, how, how was your day? Is everything going okay? Is there something else I can do? But they're happy. I hear them playing in their room or outside. Like, they're happy. And that makes me content. So that reinforces that I'm doing okay. And I tell myself that all the time. Like, you're doing okay. Yeah, you are doing a great job, Sabrina. I hear it. I see it on social media. And I know social media isn't everything. But um, even with you sharing the different um, aspects of your story that resonate with me and I'm sure other listeners, I hear it. You are doing a good job. You are. Um, I'm excited to hear the rest of your story. Hopefully you will join me and come back on, um, with baby girl. You do not have to share her name if you do not want to. So I'll continue calling her baby girl. 
but um, with baby girl uh, to share that birth story and that experience. Uh, But I want to know, is there anything that you have for another mom who may be listening? Um, Any advice, any nugget of wisdom that you have gathered about yourself um, that you think might be helpful, be it about how you're practicing self-care, how you're navigating um, issues that are unexpected or outside of your control. We talked about a lot of things that may be within your control, but outside of your control. Is there anything that you think another mama might might want to hear while we have you? Sure. I just would like everyone to just practice sticking up for yourself. If you feel it in your heart, feel it in your soul, and you've decided you made a decision on something, you know, stick up for yourself. Other people may go against you or you feel like someone may wrong, may have wronged you, like stick up for yourself. And I, I say that because, you know, there's plenty of issues that have come about as I've been raising my boys. And I feel like I just let things go and let things go to keep the peace and just to not cause drama. And the past two years, it's been completely different because I've learned to stick up for myself. In turn, I'm sticking up for them. Mm-hmm. So just just stick to your guns and, and stick up for yourself. And you'll feel a lot better. Um, I went through a very dark time in my life some years back, right after I bought my house. And and it was because I just let people run all over me and do anything or say anything. And I put a stop to that and I feel a lot better. I was a lot, I am a lot happier mm-hmm. and I do feel like I have a lot more control over my life and the things that happen in the, in, in the way I feel when I start to stick up for myself. So definitely stick to your guns. You know, what's best for you and your babies you know what's best for you. We can just stop the statement right there. You know what's best for you. So don't don't let anything deter you from making any decisions you need to make. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really good advice. Um, and it reinforces the idea that, you know, that you are capable, right? Like you're capable of making the decisions that are necessary for your family. So I really appreciate you sharing that, Sabrina. Absolutely. Um, And I'm glad also to hear that you are out of that space. You're out of that dark space because I know that um, it is not always easy to to manage life stressors, to manage manage stressors as a mom, to manage stressors as a mom who um, has extended family right? Yeah. A mom who has a blended family. So I know all of those things um, come with their own individual stressors. So I'm so happy to hear that you're out of that place. Um, you started the beginning of the call with saying that you have a lot of things coming up. Um, a lot of things in between now and when you give birth to baby girl. Talk to us a little bit about um just something that you have decided for yourself as you navigate these last few moments, whether it be leaning into your your needs, whether it be saying no to certain you know uh, requests, whatever it may be. What do you think is going to be helpful for you as you move towards delivery with um, baby girl? Sure. So I actually did it today, listening to my body. I am historically a person that will push through. 
my arm could be hanging off and I'm still working or I'm still doing something for the boys. But now it's, I've definitely changed that. And I, it's like, you, you need to slow down. I mean, (laughs) I'm not old. I am 31 years old, but I'm like, you, you're not 23 either. Mm -hmm. So you really need to stop and listen to your body. I mean, it's not only for you, but it's for her as well. So, uh, like, Today was a really important day at work, but I was dizzy all day. Uh, I was just diagnosed with uh, anemia. Mm. So I, I just, I, I told my boss, like, I have to go home and lay down. Like sitting down at work is not the same as laying down. Yeah. And I just have to go. And it just sticking up again, sticking up for myself and just saying like, I have to go. I can't give my, this job, my everything right now I have to go home and lay down so I've just been stopping it and listening to my body if that means letting my mom take Anthony to football practice because I really can't make it that day because I've worked all day that's just what it means and I've I've really implemented that and it's like girl you can't go 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 like you need you need to sit down yeah you need to sit down (laughs) yeah I'm glad that you're doing that um and it's a Again, you're really doing a a great job through your own storytelling with reinforcing with myself. And I'm sure when others listen listen to this episode, reinforcing with them also, um, these gems, like listening to your body is incredibly important. And I'm I'm right there with you. My arm could be falling off too, Sabrina. And I'm like, okay, how can I drag this arm like (laughs) to get whatever I need to get done? Um, that goes back to what we talked about earlier, like being a mom and feeling like you got to do everything. So, um, I really appreciate the fact that you shared that. And, uh, I am going to take a little bit of that this weekend and (laughs) take a bit of a pause myself and, um, sit. And I, I, you bring up such a good point there as well with the difference between what rest looks like. Right. Like your your boss imagined you resting as just sitting, but still doing your job. And you're like, wait a minute, my body is saying that this isn't enough. Right. Rest right. means something else. So um, I'm, I'm so appreciative of you differentiating between the two and calling us to, to ask ourselves, you know, what exactly is my body telling me in this moment and what can I do for my body, be it physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. So yes, ma'am, that, that is very important. I experienced a, a very big loss last year in my life and it just, it just rung into me to one, not only appreciate life, but also just listen to your body and, mm-hmm. and, and slow down. We can't go, go, go all the time. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it could be really dangerous sometimes when you're just going and pushing and I'll make that appointment next week. That, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, is that's, that's implausible these days. Like you really have to stop and listen to your body now. So I, I made sure I do that, especially being pregnant. Yeah. That's so true, Sabrina. So true. So true. Especially now more than ever, like you said. Um, Yeah. So this was so much fun. This was exciting. I loved hearing your story, holding space for it. Is there anything that maybe we didn't talk about that you'd love for, um, for us to hear, for you to be able to share before we wrap up this episode? 
I think we hit on everything. I am ready to come back the next time and let you know how my supernatural birth is going to go. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Are you going with that same midwife? Do you have a doula? Are you back at Lexington? What are you doing this time around? All unfortunate. No, I have a regular OBGYN and I'm going to be at Richland. No diss to Richland Hospital, but it scares me. Um, I, I used am, to work there. so I'm an employee at Richland. <laughs> uh, I was going to say. <laughs> but it scares me. It scares me. It scares me. And as the weeks go by, I get even more emotional about giving birth there. But everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Yeah, it the will. The on my side and I will just listen to my body. I have a plan. I have a plan. I have a plan. I know they don't always go off. It has, we hope for them to, but I have a plan Mm -hmm. and we just want to get her earthside safely and me through it safely as well. Yes. Well, you will be in our thoughts, you and baby girl and your family as you move towards delivery and, um, we will be singing her praises when she makes the earth side with us. And we cannot wait to hear from you again when you come back to share your next birth story, Sabrina. I cannot wait to come back. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I've been smiling the whole time. Oh. It was so good talking to you and, you know, just letting your listeners hear my story. So I appreciate you. Yeah, without a doubt. You've normalized a lot for us. and. Um, affirmed where we're all at as well so um again thank you so much sabrina and i hope you have a good night thank you you too okay bye-bye bye-bye as always it's important for me to note that this podcast does not replace being connected or receiving therapeutic services from a licensed mental health clinician if you are experiencing a life-threatening emergency please call 911 or go to your local emergency room You can also find additional resources on episode two, one being postpartum.net, where you can get connected with support groups, as well as therapists, psychiatrists, other providers within your community that may be of service to you on your motherhood journey. Again, that resource is postpartum.net, but you can find additional ones on episode two. Thank you.